Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. Joining me today is Paul Sitson, Head of Group Technical Services at ISS. We have an exciting and interesting format for our conversation today, which we've titled 2025, A Look Back. For the next few minutes, Paul and I will be in the year 2025, and we'll be looking back at the events, advances, and dynamics of the past few years in CRE technical services and facility management in general. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for joining me today. Now that it is 2025, let's take a look back at the last few years, both the challenges and the solutions within the facilities management portion of our industry. Let's start, uh, if we could, with a bit about you. Indeed. Hi, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So as you said, my name is Paul Sitton. I'm an electrically certified chartered fellow of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers and also of the Chartered Management Institute. Believe it or not, I have about 30 years now of global, regional and local experience in multiple positions across corporate real estate, facilities management and engineering. And that's been across occupier, investor, in both a client side and service supplier capacity. My speciality is banking, critical environments and pharmaceutical, specifically around GXP. The last five years I've been here at ISS. Uh, for those that aren't aware, ISS is a leading workplace experience and facilities management company. We have over 350,000 placemakers worldwide servicing our customers in over 30 countries across the globe. I'm based here in the UK with my family, my wife, Kirsty, and I have four children to keep me busy, Charlotte, Toby, Alice, and William. That's me. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for that. So, Paul, as we look back on the last few years and forward to the next few, were you surprised by the rate of change in the industry? And what were the key factors contributing to this transformation? Was I surprised, Tim? I mean, looking back, no, perhaps not. I mean, the events that happened, you think in 2020, we had the pandemic, and I think people's perspective of work, what work meant to individuals, what they wanted from it in terms of the output, the purpose, what their work-life balance was, their well-being, and perhaps more importantly, wanting shared experiences. We then had the European energy crisis, spiraling energy costs, and the dark winter of 22. Most of us won't forget that. Then, of course, the escalation of the Russia-Ukraine war led to significant volatile economic conditions, uh, and that continued late into 23. And then, of course, I think what we've seen significant increases is a, a groundswell and awareness of global warming and the significant impacts that that's having. So, so for me, these events came together and, and almost created an alignment of ambition and goals and realisation that these challenges that we are experiencing needed more of a collaboration, more of a coming together of minds, coming together of expertise. And that manifested itself many ways in an extension of global vested outsourcing deals where specialist service providers were able to come in on the ground, being able to provide their expertise and knowledge to mitigate some of these problems through tangible actions. So, so no, not a surprise. I think it's been a very challenging period, Tim. Thanks, Paul. You know, Cornet Global members represent all aspects of the commercial real estate business, including transaction management, capital markets, and the tenant occupier side, of course. 
Let's talk uh, for a moment about what asset management means. So asset management to me is about purpose effectively. We should start with what is the purpose of the asset that we're talking about that we want to manage. If we understand what is the desired outcome, why have we made that investment, why have we acquired or, or have that asset? If we understand what the ambition is, what the purpose of the asset is, we can start to really think about strategies around how we leverage that asset. And that could be around capital investment, how we create that asset. It could be about revenue costs, how we maintain that asset on an ongoing basis. Or it could be about life cycle, thinking about the sustainability and the impact and the reusable reusability of that asset. It's about working with real estate leaders, end users, and really discussing asset levers, as I call them. So when I talk about asset levers, what are they? So as an example, what is the location strategy of an organization? Where do they want to be and why do they want to be there? And therefore, the asset that you procure in that space and the time that you want to operate that asset for. Could be about criticality. What is the risk profile of those assets and the impact to either business disruption, throughput in, in manufacturing, or indeed protection of life in healthcare environments? So for me, it's more about understanding how we can create value to the organization through looking at the asset in more of a holistic way rather than just a planned and reactive execution. And if we can do that, I truly believe that we can support corporate real estate functions to elevate from being a cost center within an organization to being much more of a triple line contributor, people, planet, and profit, really creating that value for the organizations in which they work. You'll hear me often say, Tim, an asset is an asset is an asset. And in many times, when we move across borders and boundaries and cultures, we tend to call assets different things and operate them in different ways. And I think that's very much a, a legacy approach. I think by leveraging technology, leveraging computerized management systems, CAFM systems, BMS systems, be able to capture robust data in a consistent format, we're able to leverage that information to give a much more granular and holistic view of an operation of an asset through its life cycle. So that's asset management in a nutshell for me, data underpinned, informed decision-making to deliver more optimal outcomes to deliver value. Fantastic, thank you. You know, we have been discussing the built environment from the perspective of maintenance management, but ultimately it comes down to value for the occupant the users of commercial space and their experience with the workspace, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a saying, people make places and places make people. Again, the purpose of the space, you know, we, we typically create assets, environments for our people. And, and that's about touch points. It's about understanding the user experience of that space to create a place. We spoke about asset life cycle, but if you think about the cost of the investment, the capital investment in that asset. You think about the cost of the operational revex to maintain that asset through the period that you use it. It's actually a very small fraction of the true organizational cost, and that's its employees. And I think by focusing on people, by focusing on their outcome that we want to create for them through the asset, we can truly deliver more of a commercial space and therefore improve the experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, the asset located in the right place, demonstrating the right values, whether that be ESG, sustainability, what have you, creating clean air, the right lighting levels, agile connectivity and technology to enable productivity, collaboration, 
you know, just shared experiences. Sometimes we talk about compliant and we talk about maintained and certified and competency. For me, that's a given. Those basics, those brilliant basics really should be in place. What we really need to do is think about the opportunity to give a true business value, you know, whether that's be attracting and retaining that world-class talent, whether it be about driving that wellness and, and happiness and collaboration in the space, that social, social integration. And if we can do that by supporting efficiency and effectiveness, we can help drive the holy grail productivity. So as an example, bringing this to life for you, Tim, in, in 2023, we were able to support a banking client. Back then, there were some challenges about return to the office and people were reluctant to return from their, their home office back to the working office. We were able to support our clients by really adjusting temperatures, adjusting the environment, adjusting the cat B fit out of collaboration spaces to create an environment that was compelling, inviting, and therefore people experienced something different from working from home, which supported the return to office. So that would be an example where maintenance management is much larger than just compliance and keeping the kit running. Excellent. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. So technology is integral to service provisioning, yet technology is continually evolving. How do you manage to where technology can be a true differentiator? Yeah, I mean, the, the speed of technology is, is moving very quickly, as we all know. But breaking it down for me, technology is a tool and we, we should use it that way. Its purpose is to make stuff quicker, easier, to control and aggregate large amounts of data to provide us with information. It's zeros and ones that we need experience and knowledge to be able to create into information. If we are able to get information, we can start looking at things holistically in terms of against benchmarks, against standards, and then look horizontally across operations. By having those measurements and benchmarks, we're able to focus and target how we want to put our effort, where we want to make our investments. So for example, leveraging technology around global standards. So historically in our legacy operations, we had different ways of working across multiple countries and often multiple accounts within different countries. By creating or using technology to underpin global standards, we were able to drive consistency around asset classification, naming conventions, data capture, richness of data, but an enterprise level that simply couldn't have been done before without technology. So that value of technology is about the outcome rather than the technology itself. And that for me is the differentiator. If we can use technology to assist and enable decision-making and base decisions based on logic, data, actuals, that are then forecast to provide predictions and, and forecast, then we're, we're moving the industry along. Excellent perspectives. Thank you. You know, it's been several years since ISS implemented its best-in-class solution and began rolling it out to integrated facilities management clients. Can you explain a bit more about that best-in-class program? Indeed, indeed. So a bit of context. I mean, ISS enjoys partnerships with thousands of customers. We operate technical services in more than 30 countries. Many of the organizations we work with are enterprise. So our technical leadership and engineers work across every type of asset, installation, configuration, criticality, et cetera, of, of assets across the spectrum. So moving from a legacy position to more of an enterprise position, under our new One ISS strategy that was actually started five years ago, back in 2020, we wanted to bring the very best of ISS to our customers, 
consistently across the enterprise. So to do that, we first of all established leadership, strong technical leadership within an operations performance function to truly be a conduit between one ISS, that's the enterprise, and our operations on the ground to not only capture that very best practice, but to then conduit so it could be industrialized, it could be uh, enterprise, and then it can be expanded out through those operations in an effective deployment. So that was the first thing, is establishing that best-in-class mechanism to extract operational best practice, but also deliver industrialized products to the field. The next thing, so so once we had that in place, we started with world-class health and safety and environment. And that's about saying the very best that we have across the world. Here at ISS, our primary objective is to protect health, protect life, and therefore we can never do enough in this space and have set ourselves a challenge of being truly world-class. And that means identifying the very best health and safety and environment practices and making that our, our standard. Following that piece around the base layer, we're then able to look at the best-in-class maintenance standards that says, okay, now we have a platform, now we have commonality in the way that we look at and address and understand assets. We can now start looking at actual operation of assets, data informed in specific environments, in specific activities and configurations. So we started with a, a very base standard. Uh, many of you will know SFG20 that evolved into the building services RICS NRM3. So we took the MR3 methodology and then applied what we, we're calling taxonomy three, which is about capturing data underpin knowledge of asset performance across our range of um, customers, our, our range of environments, and then capturing those procedures and job plans. And it's a continual process, Tim. You know, this is this is something that takes time. But as we're maturing, as more accounts are adopting the standards and processes, the richness of the data, of the information from the assets is really starting to come, come to fruition. Excellent. Now, Paul, a common metric for defining technical services outcomes is total cost of ownership or TCO, as, as we all know, you really consider, though, the key metric to measure is total value of ownership. Can you explain the difference? Yes, indeed. Lifecycle cost is, is simply that. It's bought at the best price. You operate it at an optimal price around an OEM standard, perhaps an equipment manufacturer standard. You then sell or dispose of that asset. So it's very much a, a cradle to grave cost focus outcome. Value for me is more about saying back to the purpose of the asset and can we measure the investment that we make in the asset, whether that be the capital purchase, whether it be the OPEX operation, whether it be the reuse, recycle or disposal cost against what really matters to the organisation. What was the purpose of the asset? What was the outcome of the asset? And therefore, what was the value it contributed? Let me try and give you an example because it, it can be a little bit um, subjective. So if we understand a client's pain points and their ambitions and their goals, then we can start to understand what really matters to them and measure the asset performance about delivering or, or resolving those pain points or delivering those outcomes. So again, if we think about back in 2020, you know, um, the, the most industries were struggling with return to work with employees. There was the life cycle cost would be, well, we have a building that is operationally safe and it's running and it's available. But if the building's empty, it adds no value to the organization. So the value here would be about, okay, how do we, first of all, 
optimize the building so we're only creating enough space or place for the number of people that want to use it but then more importantly when people come to that space in that environment the assets that surround them are compelling that are inviting that help supporting their collaboration their social interaction and therefore their backing their engagement back with the office and their colleagues that to me is an example of value driven from the assets a value outcome excellent okay perfect so the best in class maintenance model is really about a lot more than just maintaining a building efficiently and effectively over the life of a contract, if I'm understanding you correctly. It's really about the evolution of the maintenance process and using data to continuously improve performance, right? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. I mean, the total value of ownership is about, it's it's going beyond compliance. It's going beyond run to foul. It's going to beyond planned maintenance. It's more about creating opportunity to improve the customer client outcomes. At a foundational level, it's about bringing enterprise knowledge and experience to ensure the performance of that asset is delivered at an optimal cost level by the effective and efficient use of resources. An example would be our ambition and aspiration is to positively impact cost-income ratio, which allows much more of a holistic, integrated view of the value of having that asset in the first place. Again, the robust data provides us with a systematic way to achieve a high confidence level in the optionality and recommendations we make to our customers. And the recommendations are specific. They can be measurable. They're realistic because they're underpinned by actual data, what's happened previously. And also what's really exciting using technology, we can start forecasting forward so we can start predicting impacts and outcomes. That's exciting for me. Fantastic. And now, Paul, my last question. A significant challenge in 2020 and now 2025 remains the war for talent, especially the challenge of attracting the next generation, the new generation. What advice do you have for anyone considering all this work as a career? Great question, too. First of all, war on talent. I mean, it's it's not getting any easier, right? Especially in in facilities management, but also specifically in engineering. You the the skill and the talent it's aging, and the the new Gen Z coming through. But we don't see it. Back in 2022, we created the employee value proposition, and the purpose of that was to really focus on how we do that. How do we attract talent, not only to our organisation, but to our customers' organisations as part of our provision. That program matured, and, and what we found through that program was actually the, the skill set that we were after, the competencies that we're after, had actually changed. They, they'd, they'd almost morphed into a different type of uh, profile, and I call it a transformative leadership profile, more of a all-rounder that is underpinned by the use of data. And, and very much those profiles are around ownership and stewardship. It's in some ways, an extension of home, you know, bringing that home accountability to to work but whilst maintaining that ability to understand technology to leverage tools and systems and work with data and i think that was probably the one key factor you know that how do we work and leverage data in the way that we operate also we spent quite a lot of time with universities and colleges really trying to develop training courses vocational courses to give the, the younger generation, the emerging generation, the, the right skill sets so that when they come into the industry, into the market, they were better primed and prepared. And then, of course, when they're with us, a lot of upskilling, cross-skilling, and, and a lot of that you know, required that hand-holding, that real 70% you 
uh, in the environment, learning the ways of working. What was really interesting to me, though, through that change in the transformation, change in the profile, was around the, the how that opened up the, the interest groups and the diversity that we now see across our, certainly our engineering and technical divisions, is significantly different to which you would have expected back in 2020 and, and previous. And that's a great thing. So wrapping up, you know, what would I advise to people coming into, into the industry? First of all, I think you know, people love working with people, right? So be authentic, be yourself. Think purpose. You know, it's it's about why are we here? What are we doing this for? And if that's that's the greater the greater idea, right? Think global, think big, but act local. Keep it personal. Use data and technology. It's only going to accelerate, but we need it to help us and not hinder us. And then finally, just remember, this is fun. Keep smiling. Great advice. Great advice, Paul. It's been great talking with you today. And um, as we wrap up, I'd just like to, again, thank you for sharing all these wonderful insights with Cornet Global. Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.